so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome back to another episode of Weekly Tech, a podcast about ethics, theology, and philosophy in a technological society. Weekly Tech is a project of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and I'm your host, Jason Thacker. As always, alongside this podcast, we also have the Weekly Tech newsletter that you can sign up to receive each Monday morning. This resource is designed to prepare you to think deeply about the pressing technology issues of our day, as well as stay up to date on the latest technology news and top resources. You can subscribe now at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. In today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Greg Allison, a professor of Christian theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And we talk about his new book, Embodied, Living as Whole People in a Fractured World. Greg Allison received his PhD from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and is the author of many books, including Historical Theology and Introduction to Christian Doctrine and Sojourners and Strangers, The Doctrine of the Church. He also serves as the secretary for the Evangelical Theological Society, where he also serves as the book reviews editor. He also is a pastor at Sojourn Community Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And now let's join our conversation. Dr. Allison, thank you so much for joining us here on Weekly Tech today. I know years ago, I was a student at Southern. You and I not only were at Southern at the same time, but then also at the same church, at Sojourn Church there in Louisville. And even back then, I remember you were writing a lot and teaching a good bit on the theology of the body. Can you tell us a little bit about this journey of, one, you're studying, formally studying theology, and then what kind of went into this book itself? Certainly. uh, It's great to reconnect with you, Jason. Thanks for having me on this podcast Uh, Before coming to uh, Southern Seminary, I taught at Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon. And early on in my tenure there, a student came into my office and he was complaining of a lot of physical problems, Uh, some gastrointestinal difficulties, excretory problems. He was having trouble sleeping, wasn't really concentrating on his studies, and he appealed to me to... uh, offer a spiritual solution to these physical difficulties that he was experiencing. I immediately turned the conversation to those physical difficulties and asked him, like, what are you eating? Are you exercising, resting, sleeping? He was not pleased with this line of questioning. He came to me as a seminary professor at an evangelical institution wanting something from the Word of God. And here I was asking questions about his exercise and eating uh, plans. And so he, uh, he got up from that uh, meeting very uh, disappointed, and it kind of threw me into a crisis, a quandary. What does Scripture and sound theology say about life in the human body? What would be a biblically and theologically grounded Uh, perspective on human embodiment. And thus, this book is the product of over two decades of thinking about that question and 
trying to answer it. Well, one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on the podcast is this is an extremely well-done book. And it's kind of, as we've talked about before we jumped on the podcast, this is a very uh, kind of a newer area in many ways in evangelical scholarship where there's a lot of folks who are focusing on these things, writing and producing resources independently of one another. And it's really encouraging, and I highly recommend the listeners to grab a copy of this book because it is so important. But in the book, I think you kind of boldly state at the very beginning that embodiment is the proper state of our human existence. What is embodiment per se, and why is it such an important aspect of human nature? Embodiment is uh, having a body or living in a body. Uh, That is, we are physical image bearers of God, and God has created us to be his embodied image bearers. There is another realm of created beings, we call them angels, who by God's design are immaterial, but God designed his human image bearers to be embodied, that is to be, have, have, have bodies to be uh, physical creatures. That is our proper state of existence. As we dig in a little bit on embodiment issues, uh, it's kind of a wide-ranging discipline in some sense because it is connected to the physical body, and that's also connected to a lot of the contentious social issues that we face today, uh, specifically around issues of sexuality and gender, but also kind of a host of other issues. What are some of the theological doctrines that tie into embodiment, and then how does that relate to a lot of these contentious social issues that we're dealing with today? I think the main theological topic is uh, creation. So from the very first chapter of the Bible, God creates a world uh, that is physical. So we have the heavens and the earth, physical places, and he creates a space then for plants and trees and animals, eventually human beings. And he creates uh, human beings to be his embodied image bearers. So uh, the doctrine of creation is extremely important on this, as well as the doctrine of sin, because we know then from the third chapter of Genesis that though we are created as embodied uh, image bearers uh, through our original parents, Adam and Eve, uh, we have fallen. And so uh, the impact of sin uh, taints even our embodiment so that our bodies are not functioning the way that God has designed them to be. And obviously all of this then looks forward to the theme of redemption, God redeeming us, saving us from our sin, and ultimately the consummation of all things, which will be a new heaven, a new earth, again, a physical uh, future in which we will exist as re-embodied, that is glorified, resurrected image bearers, redeemed by Jesus Christ. Well, and I know in our individualistic culture today that champions this idea of moral autonomy, we often see tensions surrounding the ideas of us as individuals, but also members of a community. In the book, you use the term particularity and sociality to describe our embodiment as two characteristics. What do you mean by those terms, and why do you use those terms specifically when talking about these issues around embodiment? So God not only has designed and created us to be embodied image bearers, but uh, attached to our embodiment is our genderness. So God has created every one of his image bearers to be either a uh, male embodied image bearer or a female embodied image bearer. But uh, we're not just created as categories 
of people, but God has created each of us individually, and that's where particularity comes in. So each of us has a particular ethnicity or race, a kinship or family structure, a particular space in which we're located, a time in which we live, a particular context, and a particular story. So that, yes, God is indeed concerned about uh, the category of embodied gendered image bearers, but he uh, extends his concern and care to us as particular created embodied gendered image bearers. And then he did not just create us as uh, individuals, but wired us for relationships. This is what I call the social body. So God has designed us to uh, want to give of ourselves to others and receive from others in terms of community and fellowship and bonding. So we experience within ourselves this desire for sociality or relationship. We're propelled to uh, bond with others. And again, this is by God's design for us as uh, his image bearers and his particular image bearers. I know one of the topics that you do a really helpful job kind of digging into and explaining um, is the idea of surrounding Gnosticism. Um, some listeners may be familiar with this idea of Gnosticism or neo-Gnosticism. That's uh, kind of where the idea is that there's a prioritizing of the immaterial or the spiritual over the material or the physical. And this is where you get into a lot of debates, especially in the technology circles surrounding the idea of transhumanism or transcending our humanity. Can you explain to us a little bit about what is Gnosticism and where do we see a revival of these ancient ideas today? Gnosticism is actually a philosophical movement that has its roots in uh, pre-Christian times. We can go back to Plato and some of the early uh, Greek philosophers. Uh, the idea, as you mentioned, that what is really most important, most true, most real about us human beings uh, is our spirit, our soul, our immaterial essence, and what is inherently evil about us, uh, what is not real, what is not important would be our physical reality, our embodiment, our material aspect. Um, and so the, this, this movement that began several centuries before Christ, I think, infiltrated the church. And so the early church wrestled with the idea of being embodied people. And so there were struggles to understand, for example, uh, sexuality and uh, even legitimate sexual intercourse between a husband and a wife, is that so evil because it involves physical pleasures that it's just tainted with sin? And, and so Gnosticism has is this ancient heresy, this ancient movement, which in its new guise today, neo-Gnosticism, may be a movement we could describe it as doesn't really consider the body terrible or inherently evil, but it's just simply not as important as the spirit or the soul. And so it affects us by causing us to ignore exercise, nutrition, rest, sleep, caring for ourselves as embodied human beings. And, and it's very damaging to us. 
I know in recent years, especially, there's been a lot of debate surrounding the role of the incarnation or more broadly Christology on our theology and our ethics. We see this in, in even later volumes that we've seen, like Oliver O'Donovan's Resurrection of the Moral Order and about how the incarnation and the resurrection kind of shifts and changes how we think about Christian ethics. We see this even in a recent volume on metaphysics and scripture uh, from Stephen Duby about how the incarnation kind of shifts about the way that we go about our theology and the way that we go about thinking about a lot of these kind of metaphysical problems. And that's one of the things I really appreciate about your book is you help to frame embodiment as in many ways kind of a an answer to push back against this ideas, these resurgent ideas of Gnosticism is that the embodiment, our embodiment is naturally tied to uh, the incarnation itself and to understanding of who Christ is and what he's done for us. What bearing does the incarnation have on our understanding of the doctrine of God and our embodiment as his image bearers? So God designed us image bearers to be embodied, created us in his image as people with integrity, and then we fell by rebelling against God and his will. And in order to rescue us, then God the Father sent God the Son through God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son became incarnate. He had to become exactly like us, Uh, embodied image bearers of God uh, in order to rescue us from our sin. So he becomes the God-man. He takes on the fullness of human nature, which includes a body, and he dies as an embodied, uh, the embodied God-man in order to rescue us. And indeed, his whole plan of redemption involves not only our spirit or our soul, as perhaps Gnosticism would uh, insist on, but it also includes a bodily resurrection. If embodiment is the proper state of human existence, as I maintain, then salvation also includes, in its fullness, includes uh, the resurrection of our body. We will not be fully conformed to the image of the God-man, Jesus Christ, until we are resurrected and have our glorified bodies. We will not experience the fullness of our salvation until Jesus returns and we have our new resurrected glorified bodies. Yeah, and that's I think it's really helpful to frame it in that light, and I really appreciate that. What role then does embodiment have on our sanctification and discipleship as believers today? And what kind of, as you mentioned earlier, when you had that student come into your office, what does this practically mean for some of the ways that we live our lives today, not only as individuals, but as families and in our churches? What role then does embodiment play in our communities and as individuals? I think it begins with understanding that uh, sanctification is a progressive and lifelong process by which we break more and more from our sin and become more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And I think we can ask ourselves, what are some particular sins that are sins of the body? And in my book, I discuss three of them, lust, gluttony, and sloth. These are sins very much tied to our body. So sanctification of the body will entail wrestling against, fighting against, overcoming these sins of lust, gluttony, and sloth. Then to put it positively, our sanctification will necessarily involve not only our spirit, our soul, but also our body. So my body, I must uh, 
train to be used for the will of God, to carry out the will of God, are, are, because we are embodied, we are designed then to uh, flourish by proper nutrition, regular exercise, regular rest and sleep, caring for ourselves as embodied image bearers would be part and parcel of our sanctification. I think most of our listeners would agree that from the pulpit in their churches or in Sunday school classes, they've probably never heard a message about exercise and nutrition or overcoming these sins of the body. We, we simply don't address it. Again, uh, impacted, influenced by this Gnosticism or neo-Gnosticism. And so my call is to be holistically sanctified, not just our minds and will and purposing and motivations, but our body and, and, and every aspect of embodiment that's included in that. We need to be sanctified holistically. Yeah, I know, and especially in a lot of the modern debates surrounding the role of technology in our lives, we see some of these embodiment issues playing themselves out. We see issues of technology around augmenting the body or extending our capabilities or even the idea of transcending our bodies entirely. A few months ago, we had Jacob Schatzer from Union University talking about his latest book, Transhumanism in the Image of God, and kind of going at this idea of transhumanism. And I think the embodiment plays a real embodiment plays a huge uh, role in how we think about transhumanism, especially a lot of these kind of life-altering technologies or life-extending technologies. And then even the role of artificial intelligence. A lot of the questions about what is the future of AI kind of surrounds this idea of, well, if all we are really is a mind, then you see this kind of play out in even popular um, thinkers like Ray Kurzweil. If we're only a mind, we can upload our minds and it live forever. I know your book, even though you don't address a lot of the technology issues specifically, how then, what role does these, uh, a lot of these modern debates surrounding technology and AI and this idea of extending or even transcending our humanity, how does that then frame up with this idea of the Christian idea of embodiment, obviously through the incarnation, but living as embodied image bearers? I think it begins with asking the question, what is God's design for us as embodied image bearers and acknowledge the fact that we can sin uh, by overstepping or seeking to overstep the bounds, the limits with which God has created us. And, and I would emphasize here our physical limitations are not evil, but they're designed by God and therefore they're good. We often look at limitations as, as bad but God has designed us with these limitations, and these are good. We, we, we should be particular individuals uh, in particular situations with those limitations and just recognize that we have the tendency to want to rebel against God. We want to be autonomous. We want to construct ourselves in our image, the image we want for ourselves, rather than living according to God's design for us as embodied image bearers. That's a big part of it. And I think then also in terms of how can we enhance our embodiment? Uh, I really like Oliver O'Donovan on this and some of his principles, for example, in terms of surgeries and uh, medical interventions. I, I think it's right for us to say, how can we reverse the curse of sin and its uh, impact, the impact of fallenness on our embodiment, but to augment 
to become something that goes beyond what God has designed us to be, to remake ourselves the way we autonomously want to remake ourselves is going to be a great challenge for the future and something we need to very, very carefully think about and consider. Yeah, I think that's a really wise way to put it. Um, I really like the way that O'Donovan frames that up. And a lot of the ways that we've talked about it here on the podcast is this idea of the restorative use of technology versus this idea of transcending our humanity. And using those two categories um, has been really helpful thinking through a lot of these kind of uh, modern technologies and how they're shaping and forming us as people. I know in light of uh, the last few years, my wife and I, we've been dealing with her cancer diagnosis and going through a lot of chemotherapy and a lot of doctor's visits. And throughout this entire process, I think both of us have thought a lot about not only sickness, but also the idea of death um, a whole lot. And one of the things that I really appreciate about your book is that later on in the book, you talk about how embodiment kind of reframes not only how we think about death, but also the future of our bodies as Christians. I think some of those kind of neo-Gnostic ideas kind of work their way into the church, even this idea of, well, we will leave this our fleshly bodies behind and then we kind of go to the clouds and play the harps and kind of float around as if we live in this kind of ethereal, spiritual, immaterial world forever. But obviously our embodiment through the resurrection is that we get to live as perfected bodies. We are resurrected with Christ. Can you help us think through then how embodiment kind of reshapes not only how we think about sickness and death, but the future of our bodies, what the scriptures teach us, what that will look like? Embodiment has a lot to say about sickness. It acknowledges, first of all, that uh, all sickness ultimately is tied to our fallenness. Uh, That does not mean that if I'm particularly sick or your wife is particularly sick, It's because of some personal sin that I've committed or she has committed. Jesus addresses that situation and says, no, that's not the right way to think. But we do need to acknowledge that as embodied people living in a fallen world, we are going to experience sickness. And this is part and parcel of God's permissive will for us. I think we see from Scripture, we're not to... Uh, just uh, give in to our sickness. But as your wife is doing, we we uh, use modern medical advances like chemotherapy and things like that to try and overcome it. But at the same time, we also acknowledge our mortality. We are every day moving towards death, which involves a, uh, a separation of our immaterial being from our physicality. So when I die, Uh, My body will be sloughed off, so I will no longer be embodied, but I will be disembodied in this intermediate state in heaven, the state between my death and Jesus's return and my resurrection. I will be disembodied. This is an abnormal situation. It's an abnormal condition because the proper state of human existence is embodiment, but at my death, I will be disembodied, so it will not be normal. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul uses two powerful metaphors as he considers the intermediate state. He says, we will be naked, we will be unclothed. Paul doesn't want to be naked. Paul doesn't want to be unclothed. That is, he doesn't want to be disembodied, even though present uh, with the Lord. And so I think even in heaven, uh, as disembodied believers, I think we'll still have a longing for an anticipation of the completion of our salvation, which will be our resurrection bodies, right? Our glorified bodies. So that's our ultimate hope. 
is to uh, be re-embodied, once again, restored to the proper state of human existence, which will be embodiment, or in this case, re-embodiment with a resurrected, glorified body. That's one of the things that I really appreciate you know, listeners can kind of understand is as you talk about these things is that you have a really not only a wise theological mind, but also a very pastoral mind about the way that you approach these things. And that's one of the things that I really appreciate about this book. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast and I want to make sure that listeners check out your new book with Baker Embodied. As we close out our time today, can you recommend some kind of further resources for us to dig into if some of these issues are interesting to us? Obviously, there's so much here that we could unpack and spend an entire podcast just talking about the future of our bodies. Obviously, there's much there, but what are some recommended resources that you would recommend for people to pick up if they wanted to dig a little bit deeper on some of these issues? What I think is fascinating, Jason, is that a good number of us are writing on the theology of human embodiment. We're doing it independently of one another, but we're coming to some of the same conclusions. They call for a robust theology of embodiment. So I have uh, five books to recommend, and these are all fresh books. Uh, one would be by Preston Sprinkle, uh, named, titled, just like my book, Embodied, but his is on transgenderism, uh, and it's an excellent treatment of that topic. So Preston Sprinkle, Embodied. John Kleinig, an Australian Lutheran theologian and pastor, is coming out with a book in the next month or so called Wonderfully Made, A Protestant Theology of the Body. Several years ago, Nancy Percy came out with Love Thy Body, which is an excellent resource. More recently, Timothy Tennant has published a book called For the Body. Uh, he is the uh, president of Asbury University. He has done a very, very fine job in his book, For the Body. And then Sam Alberry. Uh, what God has to say about our body would be a fifth resource. And so, as you can see, there are a number of us writing on this same topic. I would recommend all of these books to our listeners. And I think that's really helpful. And for our listeners' sake, we're hoping to have Sam on the podcast here soon to be able to talk about his new book. Um, and then also with Nancy Piercy's book, Love That Body, it was actually a book, Dr. Allison, that was assigned for one of our ethics seminars uh, dealing with some contemporary social issues. And so we were getting into embodiment issues there. Because that's one of the things that I appreciate about your book from a more theological perspective is there's so much – the body plays such a role in a lot of the ethical issues that we face today, whether it's sexuality issues like Preston Sprinkle's book. But then working out into a lot of the issues that Nancy Piercy brings out in her book, even addressing issues of technology and transhumanism. So there's so much there. That's one of the reasons I'm very thankful to have you on the podcast is, one, you're such a wise thinker and theologian. But as I said earlier, you're such a you have such a pastoral heart about the way that you go about these things, not just in the local church itself where you serve so prominently, but also in the classroom. You come across that way. And so I just wanted to thank you for your service, not only there at Southern Seminary, um, but thank you so much for writing this book and joining us today on the podcast. Jason, it was a pleasure. Thank you for your excellent questions and a great conversation. From all of us here at Weekly Tech, I want to say thank you for listening. If you enjoy Weekly Tech, would you consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app? These reviews really help us to know how we're doing, and also they help to share the word about Weekly Tech with others. As a reminder, you can connect with Dr. Allison and learn more about his new book, Embodied, as well as the recommended resources that he mentioned at the end of the show. You can find all of this and more in the show notes. You can also sign up to receive the Weekly Tech email briefing each Monday morning. This resource is designed to prepare you to think deeply about the pressing technology issues of our day, as well as to stay up to date on the latest technology news. 
You can subscribe now at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. Thank you, and I hope you have a great week. 